0: Of the the scriptures, and so I hope you'll turn there to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 36 this morning. Uh, And if you've not been with us in our series in the book of Luke, what we've been talking about is the life and ministry and the teachings of Jesus Christ. See, Luke writes a gospel for us, which is a a biographical account uh, based on different sources that Luke had acquired as a historian, uh, based on different eyewitness testimonies, uh, people that he knew at the time who had seen Jesus resurrected from the grave, as we talked about last week, and and had testimony to bear about who Jesus was, was, what Jesus said, and what Jesus did, and why it mattered. And so Luke is writing uh, honestly for those of us who, who weren't there, uh, who, who, who didn't see things with our own eyes. He's writing for even, even the skeptical among us. Luke is writing an account of Jesus' life and ministry, an account of the cross and resurrection uh, for the skeptic. He's writing so that uh, you and I might be able to know Uh, the things that we've heard about Jesus are true. And so he writes to this uh, probably pretty affluent, wealthy uh, individual in the Roman government uh, named Theophilus. And uh, he writes to this individual uh, hoping that he can assure Theophilus of the things that he's heard about Jesus, uh, demonstrate that they are in fact true and life-changing. And so we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke Uh, chapter by chapter, bit by bit, and just looking at who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and why that matters for us. And so I'm glad that you're tuning in with us this morning. I hope you've had time to turn to Luke chapter 6. Today we're looking at uh, just kind of the core of Jesus's teaching in what's called the Sermon on the Plain. So maybe you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is is Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever gave. It's found in the book of Matthew. Uh, you can find it in Matthew 5 through 7. And what we're looking at in Luke's account is some of the same teaching, but in a different context. It's a different sermon called the Sermon on the Plain, which was a flat area of ground where he had gathered up disciples, those who had been following him, and he was beginning to teach them. And this morning, he's going to teach us about loving our enemies. You see, and this is the core of Jesus's teaching because this is exactly what Jesus has done for you and I. He has loved his enemies, namely you and me. So we'll talk about that more as we go, but hope you'll turn with me to Luke chapter six. I'm gonna read the passage for us in its entirety, and then we're gonna walk through it uh, step by step, looking at uh, four aspects of this kind of love that Jesus calls us to. And then really kind of the motivating force, the driving force, and the empowerment for that kind of love at the end. So here's where we'll start. In chapter 6, verse 27, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And so Jesus, he, he teaches us about love. So if, if you were to Google love, here's what you would find. Uh, some of you might be Googling it right now, but, but I'm going to tell you what you would find. So you don't have to, but you, you, know, you can but if you Google love, you'll find these three definitions. First, what you'll find is that love is an intense feeling of deep affection. And then you'll see the second definition is, is a little bit different. Uh, it says it's a great interest or pleasure in something. And it gives the example even, at least when I Googled it, uh, of having a love for football Okay, so it talks about an intense feeling of deep affection. It's a great interest or pleasure in something, and then there's a third definition where love is defined as a. It's defined as a verb instead of a noun, and so as it's defined as a verb, it says to to feel a deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone, and so these are the definitions of love in our culture. It's, it's feeling-based. It's, it, it's something that, that we really like. It, it's something that is emotion-driven or, or attraction-driven. It, it's based on uh, liking something or someone. It's based on an attraction, a feeling, sometimes an intense feeling. You know, this is the kind of vision of, for love that we see in all of our romantic comedies, all the movies we watch. You know, all of a sudden... Uh, boy meets girl and, and there's, you know, just, I mean, they're just struck with love. You know, it's just this intense feeling that rises up in them. They like each other. and so love in our culture, it's, it's defined as a feeling. The problem is, if love is a feeling, then how do I love when I don't feel it? You see, because the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to here, the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates for us, it isn't primarily feelings-based. You see, love, biblically defined, as we look at the God of love and what he has to say about love, what we find is that love is much more action-based than it is feeling-based. Now, let's talk about that for a minute, because here's what we find first about love. Love, love is, is expressed through our actions, but it involves our beliefs and desires as well. So, so even though in the scriptures love is, is primarily uh, action-based, it's something that we do. You see, love, it's not, a, it, it's not primarily a noun, it's primarily a verb. It, love is something that we do. It's an action instead of something that we talk about or something that we just feel. You see, it's, it's different than things like happiness or sadness or anger. It's, it's different than the things that we feel because it, it involves this concrete action. It involves doing something. Now, to, when I say that, I don't mean that it doesn't involve feelings. I, I don't mean that it doesn't involve the, the, the things that we call emotions. I don't mean that it doesn't involve the very thoughts and intentions and desires of our hearts. In fact, I think when we look at the scriptures, we find that though love is demonstrated through actions, it also involves beliefs and desires. And so that's the first thing that we see here. When Jesus calls us to love our enemies, when he says, love your enemies... He's calling for us to do something, but that action has to be rooted in a belief and desire for someone's good. You see, love, it, it seeks what is best for someone else. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, you've probably heard this chapter uh, read at weddings and such as, as pastors were talking about what love is and, and kind of giving the, the happy couple uh, a vision for what love should look like in their marriage and their life together and their family And you've probably heard these words before, but I want you to notice uh, the few things, the few phrases at the end of this little section here. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7 says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. And it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then listen to this part. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You see, love is an action that is driven by our desire for someone's good, for their best, for them to be who God made them to be, for them to be in connection with the Lord. Love desires the best, it believes the best for someone, it hopes the best for someone. And then that love, it's demonstrated through the things that we do, through the things that we say. Love is demonstrated with and from our beliefs and desires for someone's good, but it's actually played out in our actions, in our words, and even our prayers, and so Jesus says, love your enemies, and then he says, do good to those who hate you. So he's beginning to define what love should look like now. He says, love your enemies, and he says, the way that you love your enemies is by doing good to them. Enemies, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a nemesis. You know, whenever I think about a nemesis, I can't help but think whenever I was young and and playing kind of... Uh, competitive like rec league basketball and, and, and our team had this, this rival team and like they were our, our nemesis, you know, like we, we couldn't stand them, you know, well later in life they actually became my teammates later so, you know, that's how the story ends but at the time it was like you just didn't like each other, you wanted each other's downfall, that's what it means to have an enemy, right, You're, an enemy wants your destruction, They're not out for your good. And that's why if love is just feeling-based, then we're really in trouble with this command Jesus gives us to to love your enemies. Because if love is feeling-based and someone hates me and wants my downfall, my destruction, then I probably don't feel love for that individual or that person or that group of people. When we have an enemy, when we have a nemesis, when we have somebody who wants our downfall, we don't don't feel happy and good about them. We probably feel grieved, angry, sad. We feel hurt when we have an enemy, when someone hates us. And that's why it's such good news that love is not primarily feeling based, but it's it's demonstrated through our actions. Jesus says, "Do good to those who hate you." He says, "He says, I I, I know you've got enemies. I know you've got people who are not out for your good, who in fact are out for your downfall, your destruction." You know, I, I think about uh, people that I know and and how they've experienced. Uh, Hate in their own lives, maybe you have experienced hate due to the color of your skin. maybe you've experienced hate in the context of your work environment, where a boss or maybe a coworker just really didn't like you and kind of tried to push you out and get you out the door and just found excuse after excuse to try and get rid of you maybe. Maybe this idea of an enemy is even much more heartbreaking for you because what you've found is that in your marriage right now, it's like your enemy's with your spouse. It's like the person that's supposed to be the most committed to your good and that loves you the most is, in fact, the person that that you can't get along with at all and that, in fact, doesn't want your good anymore. Maybe maybe you've got such conflict and such warfare happening in, in your own home that you've experienced hate in the most intimate relationships that you have. You see, and so it's good news for us that the kind of love Jesus calls us to is not primarily feelings-based because in those moments, we don't feel love, but we can do love. We can act in a way that is different than the way someone is acting towards us. So Jesus, he says, do good to those who hate you. And so, you know, I I saw this week, you know, during this this whole crisis, this whole pandemic, there have been some some really horrible things on social media and and some really beautiful things as well. And and one of the more beautiful things that I saw this week was this this young man who, you know, God had, had blessed him and he had resources and he wasn't in need right now. And so what he did is he just went and he knocked on some of his neighbor's doors, uh, random people that he didn't know. And he said, hey, how much is your rent? He said, I, I know that's a personal question, but, but I was just curious, how, how much is rent in this area? And, and, and the, the, first, the, the, the guy that I saw him do this with, he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm paying $1,200 for rent here. And... And so he gets out his wallet and he starts counting money. And he says, there's $1,200. And the guy looks at him and he's like, what do you mean? Like, what, I don't understand. And, and he said, I just, I just know people are hurting right now and I just want to be a blessing. And, and so he paid this guy's rent. It was the last day of the month. And the guy said, you don't understand. Like, I've been praying for this. I, I didn't have the money. This wasn't going to happen for me. And and he just did something. He, he acted out love. He demonstrated love through actions. Paid somebody's rent for the month. You see, love, it's not just this thing that we feel. It's something that we do. It's something that is expressed through the, the things that we do for people, the words that we speak to people, the, the prayers that we pray for people. Love is very practical Love is very demonstrative. It is demonstrated through the things we do. And so maybe right now you've got somebody who's kind of a nemesis. Maybe you've got an enemy. Maybe maybe it's your neighbor who always complains about your lawn and reports you to the 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 HOA. Maybe it's it's a coworker or a boss that you know is, is honestly hoping that this whole thing doesn't end up well for you. Maybe it's even a spouse or a relationship with a child or a parent or a friend or someone who used to be a friend, but now there's just hatred, animosity, tension, and conflict. Jesus is saying, even when we don't feel love, we can do love. Love is demonstrated through our actions. And it, and it is rooted in a, in a belief and a desire for someone's good. And so here's the, here's the kind of paradoxical thing. We can we cannot have this warm, fuzzy feeling of love for someone. We cannot really like them right now. But we can still want and desire what's best for them. We can still believe that God can bring about incredible things in someone's life and want him to do so. And then out of those beliefs and desires for someone's good, we can, we can do good to them even though they've done nothing but evil to us. So Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And then he says, bless those who curse you. Jesus is talking about our words here. To, to curse or to bless is, is talking about uh, the way you speak towards someone and particularly the way you speak towards them, and the way you either seek their destruction or or their their lifting up to God. And so, the way that we use our words has to be evaluated. Jesus is saying the way you love your enemies is by blessing them and not cursing them. Is with your words, your words have to change. They have to be different. They have to be different than the words your enemies use towards you, and so Jesus, He says, we've got to we've got to learn how to speak differently to one another. This is really relevant for us right now, in the midst of an election year, in the midst of a, a global pandemic, where there's all sorts of tensions politically, and, and all sorts of reasons that people have conflict and and in fact want each other's downfall. You see. A lot, of the, a lot of the words we're using right now are, are not loving words. In fact, they're hateful words. A lot of the words we use with one another when we disagree with one another, particularly in the political arena, are, are cursing words, are words that aren't out for someone's good. When we disagree with someone, we find it really hard to speak good things about them and to them. I mean, we've seen that in the midst of this whole thing. We've seen people shouting at one another. We've seen people saying terrible things about one another in the comments, on on different feeds, on social media. I mean, we've seen some, some really damaging ways of speaking to one another. And it's not new in the midst of this. This is, in fact, something that we struggle with on a daily basis. This is a problem we've always had. But Jesus says, the way that you love your enemies comes out in the way that you speak about them and the way that you speak to them. Jesus is calling us to change our words. Just like he's calling us to change our actions, he's calling us to change the way that we speak, the way we speak about people, the way that we speak to people. He's saying you've got to change the way that you talk about those that you disagree with. Then he says, pray for those who abuse you. He says, go to God for the person who does you harm. Intercede for them. Prayer is an intercession. It is coming before God. And, and, and when we pray for someone, we're, we're interceding. We're, we're standing in front of God and we're asking God to do something on their behalf. We're asking God to do good in them, to do good through them, to bring about change, to bring about repentant faith, to, to bring about his good plans and purposes in their life. When Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you, he, he's saying the way that we love our enemies, those who do us harm, is we lift them up to God and ask God to be at work in their life. Instead of seeking vengeance ourselves, we trust that God is the just judge that God will carry out what is good, right, and true. If not now, eventually, that God is perfect in his timing and his judgments and his ways and that God knows better than we do and that we can trust him with both justice and mercy. Romans 12 puts it this way. Uh, Read these few verses from from Paul's words because Paul is talking about the same thing in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 21. There's this section in Romans where it's labeled probably in your Bible, in the ESV, for example, as the marks of a true Christian, of those who know God, of those who are in connection with God and relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He says love is what marks them. He begins to talk about love and how it's genuine, how we must abhor evil and hold fast to that which is good. He he talks about loving one another with brotherly brotherly affection. And, And then... He goes on, and in verses 19 through 21, he talks about when others have wronged us and what love looks like in those moments and what the kind of love that we can have for someone when we're in relationship with God through Christ can be. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never, never, never seek out to, to take vengeance yourself, he says. He says, but leave it To the wrath of God, for it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see how this same kind of love that Jesus is teaching us for our enemies plays itself out in Paul's letter to the Roman church right here. He says, if your enemy, the one who seeks your downfall, who seeks your destruction, is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some water. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. I don't know about you, but whenever there's something on my skin that burns, I want to get out of that situation. I want to change some things about what's happening there. God's word is telling us that when we love people like this, it, it exposes evil for what it is. When we respond to evil and harm from others, with love that is demonstrated through good actions, through blessing them with our words, and then even even taking our concerns to God and praying for those who oppose us, who seek our downfall. When we love like this, it heaps burning coals on their heads, It, it says, hey, what you're doing is not right it demonstrates the evil and it and it lord willing causes them to to see what's happening and what they're doing and, and to turn from it that's the hope is so the evil being done would stop but the way that we're called to go about it is 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 not by striking back but by demonstrating love through good actions and words and even interceding for those who harm us. This is a radical kind of love. This is, this is unexpected. This is something that is altogether different than, than what we would expect. Jesus, he's gonna demonstrate this through, through three examples. And then I wanna come back and, and talk about what Jesus is actually saying. Because if we're not grappling with what Jesus is saying, if it's not difficult for us, then we're not understanding him. So look with me at these three examples that he gives. Starting in verse 29, he says, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. You see, Jesus, he gives these three examples of, of what this kind of love for enemies and love for those in need can look like. And, and these examples are, are unexpected, they're surprising. You see, when someone, when someone hits you, the, the expectation is you either flee or you fight. You either get away or, or you fight back, you hit them right back. That's what's expected. Jesus says, when someone hits you on, on this cheek, Turn the other towards him. Expose the other cheek. Say, hit me again. It's totally unexpected. Jesus says, when somebody steals your coat or your hoodie, go ahead and give them your t-shirt as well. Jesus says, just just strip down and give it all to them. When they they take that from you, give, give them the rest. What's expected is, is now, I mean, go get your coat back. Take that thing back. Don't let them take that. But Jesus says, no, just give him your shirt too. And he says, give to everybody who begs from you, everybody who asks from you. And to somebody who, who steals what is yours, man, let him have it. So Jesus, is Jesus saying here, is he really asking me if whenever I'm in a dark alley and I get mugged, somebody, somebody hits me to say, go ahead and hit me again? Is he saying when, when the guy who mugs me takes my coat to go ahead and say, hey, take my shirt to you, man? Is he saying that, that this guy who has, who has mugged me and stolen from me already, is, is he saying if he asked me for money that I should go ahead and give him my wallet? The keys to my car. No, Jesus, Jesus isn't, that's not what he's getting at here. See, he's using something called hyperbole. See, when we come to the scriptures, we have to ask what, what kind of language is being used and what's, what's the purpose of it? What is, what is the author trying to communicate to us? You see, Jesus is using hyperbole, which, which means he's using intentional exaggeration to demonstrate a key point. You see, because when Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you, I mean, this is, this is really relevant. Is Jesus saying that, that we ought to continue to subject ourselves to those who abuse us? Because right now, all over the world, there are women and children in homes where domestic violence is present, and they have no relief, no escape right now. Things are really bad for them is, is Jesus saying man just, just love your enemies just stay in the midst of that just, just continue to do good when, when, when that man hits you just turn the other cheek let him hit you again is this what Jesus is saying no Jesus isn't saying, continue to subject yourself to abuse. We have to realize the kind of words he's using and the context in which he's using them in order to draw out the principles and then look at how those principles apply in our situation. You see, that's what we do with wisdom. Wisdom is often given in a particular context. And then we take those principles of wisdom and we learn how to apply them in different contexts. So let's talk about what Jesus is doing here. Jesus, he's using hyperbole. It's an intentional exaggeration. He, he's trying to get us to realize that the kind of love with which God has loved us is radical. And, and, and to learn how to love others in the same way. Even those who do us harm, who do us wrong. But in this context, let's talk about these examples for a minute. The, the, the turning the other cheek, right? I mean, these are, we get a couple of phrases from, from these teachings. We, we get the turn the other cheek phrase. We get the uh, give him the shirt off your back phrase. Uh, in Matthew's version of, of this same uh, teaching that Jesus is doing, we get the go the extra mile phrase. And we use these phrases all the time to talk about things that we do for people and ways that we respond to people. But in its context, Jesus is talking about when someone in authority would, would backhand you with their right hand across the right side of your face. They, they, would, they would backhand you, and it was, it, was a, it was a sign of disrespect, and it was shameful and dishonoring to someone. And so some scholars think that, you know, this would play out in the context of being dismissed from the synagogue and kicked out of the community, that when you left, they would backhand you across the right side of your face, shame you. Some think that in the context of of Roman rule and oppression, that Roman soldiers would would be allowed to backhand someone across the right side of their face uh, to get them to do what they wanted them to do or in punishment for something they had not done or done wrongly. That it was actually allowed for them to do that. But then what Jesus is saying is when, when you turn the other cheek, he's not saying continue to subject yourself to abuse. He's saying expose the evil for what it is. Because when you turned your cheek, you required that person to hit you in a different way. They no longer could take their right hand and backhand you across the right side of your face, which was in some context maybe acceptable. Instead, they would have to hit you in a totally different way that actually demonstrated that they were the one in the wrong. That that they were the one that was being shameful and dishonoring that they were the one doing evil. See, Jesus is teaching here a kind of of peaceful resistance, a a way to resist that is not in kind, that, that isn't about retaliation, that isn't about striking back, but instead, through love, exposes the evil for what it is. Same thing with the idea of, of taking the coat away. A, a coat would have been uh, what someone wore during the day. To keep, and then it would have also kept them warm at night. And so when you took someone's coat, you were taking something that they absolutely needed. And they didn't have a bunch of extras like we do lying in our closets. This was all they had. You took that from them. And then to, to, to also give the tunic would have been to strip down naked and go streaking through the streets. So is Jesus saying, yeah, when when they take your coat away, Strip down naked and go streaking. No, he's not saying that. It's hyperbole. It's intentional exaggeration. He's trying to make a point that when someone wrongs you, respond in such a way that is out of love, that demonstrates love, which is contrary to what they've demonstrated towards you, which is evil and hate. He's saying react in such a way that exposes the evil for what it is in hopes that it heaps burning coals on their heads so that they'll see their evil and turn from it. He's saying, trust the Lord with justice. Leave it up to God. Trust the Lord with vengeance, knowing that he is a just judge and that he brings about that which is good, right, and true. If not right now, eventually he will. Trust the Lord does this and instead respond by doing good to someone who does not deserve it. Because in doing good to someone who does not deserve it, we expose the evil that they've done to us for what it is. And hopefully as we, as we pray for the one who abuses us, hopefully the Lord shows them the error of their ways. So listen, like I said, this kind of wisdom, we have to take those principles and learn how to apply them in particular contexts in our context, in our story, and what things look like in our life. So listen, if, if you're at home right now and you're in an abusive environment and, and you're afraid for your life and you're afraid for your kids, Jesus is not staying, saying, stay there. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, continue to subject yourself to abuse. He's saying, Learn to love your enemies by exposing evil for what it is. Learn to do good in such a way that that demonstrates the evil for what it is and that in fact calls someone to turn from it, to stop doing it. And what that looks like for you, that might be hard to figure out. So please don't do this alone please reach out to a a pastor like me or Pastor Cameron or or reach out to a counselor who who knows these kinds of situations and the dynamics involved. Reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline if you can in a safe way. Uh, Reach out and and get some help to learn what taking Jesus' teaching, what it looks like in your context, what it looks like to wisely apply these kinds of principles. it looks like to confront and resist in a godly way that exposes evil for what it is. Because when we love people like this, it demonstrates and corrects wrongdoing, and it's with the hope of God bringing about repentance and redemption by doing good and not harm. You see, we we don't respond in kind in the same way because it just reinforces the evildoer's worldview. When someone shouts at us and we shout back at them, it tells them that this is how people should interact. When someone hits us and we hit them back, it tells them that what they're doing is a normal way of acting towards someone. So instead, Jesus is showing us a better way. He's he's trying to show us how to respond to hatred with love, to evil with good, because it exposes evil and hatred for what they are. And so Jesus is showing us something very radical here, a radical way of demonstrating love that that seeks God's best and seeks about change and a turning from evil towards that which is good in Christ. Wish we could keep talking about that a little more because there's so much more to say, but but let's keep moving. Here in verse 31, Uh, there's something that's really famous here. He says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. This is what's called the golden rule. I like to call this the preschool of love because this this is what should be basic for us, right? That we would act towards others in the way that we want to be treated ourselves. That we would speak towards others in the way that we want to be spoken to. That we would do for others that which we would want done for us. This is this is preschool kind of love. This is the basics and fundamentals of the way that we should react and uh, to other people and interact with them in relationships. And the reason I call it the preschool of love is because whenever you were in preschool, you probably had a teacher say this to you. Whenever you took a toy from another kid or 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 you shoved another kid down or 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 that was done to you, you probably had a teacher that came up to the person who had done wrong and and said Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Act towards other people the way that you want to be treated. Treat them the way you want to be treated. This is the golden rule. It's the preschool of love. It's the fundamentals, the basics. But here's the problem you and I don't have the basics down. We still need to go back to the preschool of love and learn. This is a a lifelong deal. We need to continue learning to love one another like this. Because if we can learn how to love one another like this, it will transform our lives and our relationships. If you can learn to ask, is that how I would want to be treated? If you can learn to step into somebody's shoes and say, what would I want if I were them? If you can learn to ask those kinds of questions, then you can learn to love in a way that will transform your life, your relationships. Imagine if we did this in marriage. If with our spouse, and, instead of, when, when they shouted at us or, or say a hurtful thing towards us or they do something that, that, that harmed us in some way, if instead of responding in kind, we said, man, what are they walking through right now? What are they experiencing? And, and if I were in their shoes instead of in mine, what would I want? What would I want someone to do? What would I want somebody to say? What would I want from me if I were them? If we learn to love like that, it would transform our marriages. It would totally and utterly change them if we learned to ask those simple preschool love kind of questions before we responded. If we did this with, with our kids and, and kids with their parents, and if we did this in the workplace with our coworkers and our bosses, if we, if we tried to understand what was going on in their lives and said, what would I want someone to do or say? It reminds me of, of this new show that's on TV, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Maybe you've seen it. I'm not a big musical person. But, but Brittany loves it, and so we watch it all the time. Pastor Cameron and Ashley, love they watch it, and, and I'm not a musical guy, but I'll watch it with my wife and, and such. And, and I remember one episode where Zoe, the main character, was beginning to get some insight into what was going on in her boss's life. Her boss was, was kind of a hard, difficult person. Uh, at least that's how she had known her. But Zoe had this weird superpower uh, where, where she could hear the innermost thoughts of someone expressed in song and dance. And it's like they would just start breaking out in song and dancing, and, and then she would know what was going on in their life. And so after she began to realize what was happening in her boss's heart, and her boss's life, and her boss's marriage and relationships, it, it, it kind of changed the way they related to one another, the way she interacted with her. And see, it's the same thing with us. If we would learn to ask these kinds of questions before we respond to other people, it would transform our lives and our relationships in a way that we have not yet known. And it's so simple. It's the golden rule. It's the preschool of love. If God would teach us to love like this, then our relationships could thrive. We could thrive. So that's the golden rule. He goes on and he says, he's gonna get into some of our, our motivation and exposing some things here and giving us the reason that we love like this, that we love our enemies like this. Verse 32, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Notice he said that even sinners phrase twice already. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Jesus is saying, even the world loves in a way that's expected. Even those who don't know God who aren't reconciled to him with a relationship through Jesus Christ, who don't have the Holy Spirit at work in their lives and in their hearts, empowering them by God's grace and with his wisdom, even those who don't know any of that, can do good to someone who does good to them, can lend to someone expecting that it's going to be repaid, can speak to someone in a kind way that speaks kindly to them, even unbelievers, even those who don't know God can act like this. He's saying, so how much more you who know God, you who are in relationship with me, he's saying, if you know me, then you ought to be able to love in a way that is different, in a way that is supernatural, in a way that is empowered by something outside of you that has now come in you and changed everything. See, if we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, then we ought to be able to love differently than someone who doesn't. We ought to be able to not retaliate and respond in kind, but instead do good to those who hate us, love our enemies, bless those who curse us, even pray for those who abuse us and do us harm. Because God is at work in us. He's saying, even sinners know how to love those who love them. But if you know me, you can learn to love your enemies. Those who don't love you. Those who hate you. He goes on, verse 35, he says, and uh, he said, but love your enemies, do good and lend, and and expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. It's beginning to talk about who we are, our identity. Sons of God, sons of the most high. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He's talking about God here and how God acts towards us. God is kind to those who are not grateful and thankful for the things he does for them. Parents, knowing Christ, knowing God, knowing the most high, you can be kind to your kids when they're ungrateful for all the things that you're doing for them. You can you can continue to show them love even when they scream and kick and and throw tantrums and, and rebel against you because this is the kind of love that God has shown to us. When we've screamed and rebelled and thrown tantrums against him. He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And then in verse 36, this is where we'll end our time together. He says, Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. So I don't know about you, but as I get older, I begin to see more of my dad in me. I mean, we're just alike through our DNA, through, through genetics and biology in ways that I didn't even imagine. I mean, my, my dad, you know, dad will love you if you're watching, but he, he lost most of his hair pretty early on, and I'm following in the same suit. You know, the more I look in the mirror, the more I realize, man, my hair is thinning and it's going to be gone before I'm 30 probably. And, and, and so as I get older, the more I realize I am like my dad, even in the way that I, I talk sometimes. I say things that he said, and, and I say things in the way that he said them, and I never imagined doing that. So maybe you've realized that, that you're more like your parents than you thought you were. You see, we're, we are made to be like the one who made us. Jesus says, be merciful as your father, your heavenly father, God is merciful. You see, how do we learn how to love our enemies? We love our enemies because God loved his. Because God loved us. You see, the, the gospel it doesn't start with the good news. It starts with the bad news. And here's the bad news. The bad news is that you and I, though we had a good, gracious God, we chose to go our own way, to rebel against him, to walk away from him. To say, I know better than you do. And we became his enemies, thinking that walking away from him was for our good, when in reality, living in relationship with him is where we find our good and so we became god's enemies we rebelled against the king god is a king and so to walk away from him is to commit an act of treason we're rebelling against the king and his kingdom when we choose to sin against god and so we separate ourselves from him and we stand in opposition to him and what Jesus is saying is that the, the truth of the gospel teaches us to love because God has been merciful to those of us, you and me, who don't deserve it. To those who have been his enemies, he has loved us. In Romans 5, Paul, we, we won't read it, but Paul It says that even while we were still sinners, even while we were still God's enemies, God loved us and demonstrated his love for us in this, that Jesus died for us in our place. See, Jesus, he teaches us to love our enemies by the way that he's loved us. See, Jesus, he was stricken and beaten for us. Jesus was stripped of his clothes and all that he owned and naked on a cross for us, dishonored and shamed for us. Jesus gave everything up to us and for us, requiring us to pay nothing back, but giving it as a free gift that if we would just turn towards him and receive this love, receive this gift, then we could be reconciled to God forever. You see, God loved his enemies, you and me. And that's what drives us to love ours. It's not a, it's not a love your enemies and, and then you'll be reconciled to God. It's that God has loved you, his enemy. Be reconciled to him and you'll learn to love your enemies. So the motivation for loving your enemies, for loving our enemies, is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, in our only hope, in life and death, being in relationship to God, knowing him, and being reconciled to him. So are you reconciled to him today? Do you know this God? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, you're going to try in vain to learn to love difficult people. You're going to try in vain to learn to love your enemies well. Sure, you might succeed in a brief moment. You might do a good thing. But then living this kind of life of love, you can't do it unless you know the God of love you know the God who has loved us. So if you don't know him today, I'm going to pray for us, and I hope you'll take this time to pray to him as well, and, and, and place your faith in him. Ask that he would transform and mold your heart and, and make you like himself, that he would utterly change your heart and life, because God has loved us his enemies so we can love ours. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your mercy. And we thank you that you have shown us what we did not deserve and you've withholded from us that which we did deserve. We thank you that you've loved us like this. God, I pray for my my friends right now who maybe don't know you but are listening and tuning in and and maybe this is the first time that they put their faith in you. I ask that you would help them to do so now. And help them to, to share that with us, to share that with a, a Christian friend, someone who has been walking with you for a while and, and knows how to kind of guide them on the path and, and show them how wisdom applies to their situation and, and their life. God, would you give us that wisdom to see how the principles that we've learned this morning of this kind of radical, peaceful, peace-bringing love, would you show us how it applies in our relationships, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our country, in our world? Would you help us, God, to love our enemies just as you have loved us, your enemies? God, the enemies might turn And find repentance, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in you. We ask all these things in the mighty, beautiful, gracious, and merciful name of Christ.